Hi, this is Alina and Megan, and you're listening to Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast, where we dive into all things health, wellness, and fitness. We are two certified athletic trainers, personal trainers, and nutrition coaches who met and graduated together from the University of Arkansas. And we want to do this podcast to spread our joy about treating our bodies well through nutrition, exercise, and knowledge. Today on Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast, we welcome Dr. Peter Lecca. Dr. Lecca is a dentist and his practice is located in Coppell, Texas. He has a wide background of dentistry knowledge where he has actually done continuing education with the Panky Institute as well as PRI or Postural Restoration Institute. In his friendly practice, he focuses on restorative treatments that lead to providing quality long-term care for his patients. He is involved in a variety of dental organizations and has taught at his alma mater, Baylor College of Dentistry. Dr. Lecca works closely with physical therapists to ensure lifelong changes for his patients. It's such an honor to have him on our podcast today. So today on Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast, we have Dr. Peter Lecca. I'm so excited to have you on today. I know you pretty well from meeting you here in Texas, and I guess we'll just get started with a little bit about you. Yeah, great. And so thanks for having me on your podcast. I'm real thrilled. And basically, you know, I'm a general dentist and here in the Dallas area, and I have been in practice since 1990. So for quite a while, and like most dentists who graduated at my time, my goal was to get out, have a private practice. And so I ended up actually working for the government for four years. I worked for the Indian Health Service I was stationed in Rapid City, South Dakota, because I didn't quite know where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do, even though I grew up in the Dallas area. So I did that for four years, came back and opened my practice and basically was solo practitioner practice. Uh, We didn't really have a whole lot of corporate dentistry back then. There was some of the beginning of that, but not a lot of it. And practiced kind of just normal dentistry as you would expect. Some of the things that talk a little bit about patients that I saw that may have had like facial pain issues, you know, we were always kind of taught in dental school to kind of refer those out because those patients were complicated, may have psychological issues. And so they kind of scared us a little bit about those kind of patients. And so I very rarely treated any of those patients. And when I did, it was to make a just a general type of a mouth guard where you took an impression, you sent it to a lab, they made you a little plastic or acrylic mouthpiece, you put it in the patient's mouth and you shook their hand and told them good luck. And you really, there wasn't a whole lot of follow-up, maybe a little bit if the patient was in some discomfort or had something pinching or too tight. But other than that, that was pretty much about it. And it wasn't until many years later probably back in 2002, around that time, but I had a friend of mine who I knew when I lived in South Dakota, who had an innocuous procedure done. Basically, he had a crown on a tooth, and it should have been a straightforward procedure, but it ended up really changing his life in a negative way. It affected him in, from a health standpoint, not only psychologically, but physically. He didn't know what was happening. He was scared. He owned his own business. He had to move home with his parents. If you didn't know him before, you might think he was crazy. I knew him before. He was actually the best man at my wedding. And he was just a normal, everyday kind of guy. And this crown 
and the change of his occlusion really altered him for over for at least over a year, but it took several years for him to really feel human again. And Mm -hmm. he called me, I was living in Dallas at the time and he called me. I didn't know what to do for him. And so that's what set me on my journey to help him taking various courses, going to various institutes that we have here for continuing education in dentistry. And then just, you know, working all the pieces together to try to help him. And he ended up flying down to see me and I ended up creating for him a mouth appliance. You can call it an occlusal splint. It was more than just a night guard because he wore it during the day just to try to balance his bite and give him some relief. And it did help him. But the story just continues in that it was a long process to really get him feeling better. And at that time, I didn't quite understand the connection of the teeth and the body. We were never taught that in dental school necessarily, that what we do in the mouth can affect a patient systemically and neurologically, neuromuscularly, all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't until I just happened, went to a course where a dentist actually had his physical therapist there with him. And he allowed her to speak. She was there for like this two or three day seminar. And she was maybe given one hour or maybe two to speak. And that was it. Otherwise, she was just there participating. And as I listened to her presentation, light bulbs went off in my head. And that's when I knew that this was the missing piece. And I wish that they had let her talk more because I think what she had to say really was beneficial to the group. But we, of course, went back to dentistry and because that's why everybody was there. And pretty much what she said was forgotten, I feel like. But I talked to her more about what she had to say. And I talked to her later and got to know her. Her name is Kathy Johnson. And eventually ended up flying down to Dallas. I had together a seminar with a group of dentists that I know and some physical therapists that I started working with because I started to learn that there was a lot more to what was going on when patients come for facial pain issues and that we as dentists need to look beyond the teeth and we need to collaborate with other healthcare professionals, whether it be a physical therapist or an ENT or neurologist or chiropractor, what have you, to help our patients in the best way. We don't have all the answers, but we do have a certain skill set that sometimes is needed for those patients to get the care that they need. And so that's kind of my story in hopefully not too long-winded way. So that's uh, where I'm at. I had a question. So this, in his case, in your friend's case, he <clears throat> saw changes neurologically because of the crown that was put into his mouth. Is Are there cases where someone, like they will compensate like on their own in order to like account for something else in their body? Does that make sense? I think we have the ability to adapt and we do adapt because we do lots of dentistry on lots of patients and they don't have these issues. And we're changing bites all the time (laughs) and patients have the ability to actually, the body's an amazing thing to adapt. And I think we have some of those patients that we find that their ability to adapt is narrow and they may have been adapting already so much 
that we just take them over the edge. In my friend's case, when I look back at his case and look at his models and look at his photographs, he is someone who has airway issues. He's someone who is a lateral tongue thruster. He's someone who, you watch him talk, you can see what he does with his tongue. I videotaped him actually telling a story. And it's so interesting to watch this because you can clue into things that I didn't even see then because I wasn't trained to see that. And so therefore I didn't see it. You only see what you know, and that's huge. And so now when I look back at him and when I've gone back to talk to him about some of these things, like, you know, maybe we should look into this or that. He's not really open to any of that because he feels better. He's doing better. And he's like, whatever that we did took care of it. And he's grateful, but he's not willing to look into doing anything more than that. And he's stable now and doing well and back functioning in life. He was going to psychologists and he was contemplating suicide. I mean, weird. I mean, just crazy stuff that I'm like, where did this come from? What's a lateral? I mean, I can imagine what a lateral tongue thruster is, but just to clarify for our audience, what is a lateral tongue thruster? (laughs) So basically what you see is that, you know, his front teeth touch but in the premolar section, those areas bilaterally, especially on his, I think it was his right side is open. So his tongue is spreading out in his mouth and creating a space on either side. He's very narrow in his mm-hmm. maxilla and mandible. I didn't really even recognize that until I brought his case with me to a study club. And there was a gentleman there, a dentist who'd been practicing for years that said, oh, your patient looks like he's a lateral tongue thruster. And I said, oh, wow, I didn't think. And he's just looking at the models that we had mounted. That's what's important too is in dentistry, we're really good at taking records, whether it be photos, models, bite records. And, you know, so we have that piece, but we just need to look at what are those signs. And now I think in dentistry changed a lot because now we I don't know what they're teaching in the dental schools now, but there's such this big thing of the last 15 years with sleep medicine and how dentists can get involved in that. And a lot of talk about orthodontia and how it plays into what's happening in the world today with some of the old ways we used to do dentistry, taking out teeth. And now we're looking at more of expansion. When do we intervene? What age? You know, there's a lot of things that we need to talk about. But what's interesting, it's going to take time because from an education standpoint, the way that we teach these things, in order to see that kind of change, it takes, you know, years and years and years and to kind of take that ship and turn it around. But I think we're kind of going in that direction, I'm hoping. So to your answer, you know, with Dwayne and his lateral tongue thrust, that was something that I didn't even pick up on you know, until it was brought to my attention. Thank you. So I like know how you practice, but can you give our listeners a little bit about why, I guess, what you do and how you make blunts and why it's different a little bit from a normal, regular dentist and why you do it that way? Sure. You know, I am a general dentist and recently, I mean, just recently, last year, the American Dental Association has created a new specialty and that is oral facial pain. And so Mm -hmm. for you to be able to say you're a specialist in oral facial pain, you have to go to school and get all this new criteria. But as a general dentist, you can still treat oral facial pain, but you have to say that I'm a general dentist 
providing oral facial pain therapy, even though I'm not a specialist in that field. So, which is newly created. I mean, that was never a specialty before. It's brand new. Anyway, what I do in my practice is I tend to be a relationship-based practice. And what that means is that I like to get to know my patients. Patients come to my office, whether they're a new patient or just someone coming to me, refer to me for their facial pain. They see me first. They don't go through and get their teeth cleaned first or that kind of stuff. They spend time with me. I get to know them. I want to kind of take a look in their mouth and spend time with them and ask them questions. And it kind of helps me to kind of see where they're at and gives them an ability to ask me questions. And so they could see who I am and make sure that they're, I'm the right provider for them. So I get a lot of referrals. And recently over the last, I would say five years, that part of my practice has grown a lot. And what I do, I think that might be different. The most important thing that I do that I think is different is I just take the time to listen to my patient. They come to me, they fill out paperwork, but I let them tell their story. And for some of these patients, it's the first time that anybody ever listened to them and really wanted to understand and want to help them. And so I try to make sure that I give them every opportunity to share with me as they get to know me in the conversation and they feel safe. They may tell me more than what they originally have told me. And many times that kind of tells me right then and there what kind of therapy or treatment they're going to need. I mean, I think the patients sometimes know what they need and can help you with your diagnosis because they already know the diagnosis. And if you listen, you can get it without trying to beat your head against a wall, trying to figure it out by yourself. So that's one thing that I do that's different. The second thing that I do is different is probably... 90% of the time, I don't go straight to treatment in my office. I will usually refer them to another provider for therapy first, and in particularly to the physical therapists that I work with. And the physical therapists that I work with are trained in postural restorative integration or PRI, which is a type of physical therapy that is a little different than traditional physical therapy because I think it looks at the whole system and it's looking at all the different ways that patients function and move in space. And that right there is critical for treating facial pain patients. They also are attuned to the occlusion, to bites. They're attuned to hearing. They're attuned to vision and how all these players are part of what's going on with these patients. And just for a quick example, I had a patient that came to me for facial pain and it all had to do with her vision. When she got her vision corrected, her facial pain went away. Now I don't, can't talk to you scientifically of why that happened. This is a long-term patient of mine in my practice, not someone who's referred to me. I've known her for a long time and her prescription was changed. And after her prescription was changed, she developed not only facial pain, but also hip issues and leg issues. And once her prescription was altered, those symptoms eased up and totally went away. And so it just goes to show you that there's a lot of different places that, and I think what's happening is that as one thing has changed and those patients 
are, have been adapting so much, it just changes other parts of the system that have to overcompensate. Yeah. Is what I believe is happening. Could be wrong, but that's what I believe is happening. And so that's why I don't go straight to splint therapy. Now, when I do refer a patient out and it's, and we have other pairs of eyes looking at this patient and it's determined that they have an occlusal driver issue that is part of the problem and that that needs to be addressed. And then we create, then I create a appliance that is a balanced appliance that the patient will wear in order to help with the treatment overall. And so I know when I'm making this appliance, it's going to work, number one. And I have also found that when I deliver these appliances, they very rarely have to be adjusted because we've done all the work on the front end and we can test to make sure that I can tweak it as I need to get that patient feeling better. One type of appliance into what the patient needs. I know in the postural restorative world, in some of the handouts, there's talk, there is definition of specifically of two different types of appliances. One where patients have more molar contact on their appliance, a balanced molar contact on that appliance. And there's another appliance that has the balanced molar contact, but also has the anterior guidance built into it. And those are two different types of appliance designs meant to treat the patient's needs, you know, and to help them with their particular issue. And so I kind of look to the physical therapist to say, you know, I need more molar contact, or we need to make sure they have that really good anterior guidance to help them. And so a lot of patients, for example, are very, can be converged and could be like on their toes, not on their heels when they walk. And so we want to give them back their heels. So we'll give them more molar contact. And so, but I do look to my colleague that I'm working with, a physical therapist, to really kind of help me to figure out how to design it. And then they need me to follow through on that and to provide the right kind of appliance for their patient so that we can work together. And it really has been great. The therapists that I work with are so awesome and I couldn't do what I do. They've helped me. With what I do for my patients, knowledge I have now, I would still be stuck where I was before and be frustrated that maybe I'm helping half of the people that I am able to help because I don't understand what, yeah. what's going on. It is on. so interesting how we can manipulate the entire system just by like giving you yourself input from somewhere yeah. where you wouldn't necessarily expect. But like, I mean, I'm just thinking about like how much sensory reception we have like in our mouth and obviously like yeah. our hands and our feet yeah. and those are all ways that we can manipulate kind of the whole system. I actually had a question. So as a physical therapist, I've obviously, we're actually working on cervical spine right now in school, but I was curious about, Alina told me that you work with TMJ dysfunction mm-hmm. often. Is that true? Can you talk a little bit about what TMJ dysfunction is and then your approach to treating it? I'm sure every patient is a little different, but I'd be curious to know. Yeah. I mean, TMJ dysfunction is meaning that TMJ joint, which we have two of, is not, that joint is not healthy or not working properly or has gone through some adaptation adaptive changes. So the TMJ joint is really kind of a neat joint because it's different than the other joints in your body. The bone is different than the other joints in your body. It has the ability to adapt. You can actually grow, the TMJ joint can actually grow bone, can lose bone. You can, it kind of goes through all these different 
manifestations in order to kind of find an adaptive happy place, if you will. So I have patients that, and I think it's like 70% of the population has some sort of a TMJ joint sound click or a pop for a variety of reasons. But I think the research really leans to the good research is that when these joints are immobilized for long periods of time, the TMJ joints, then they lose their natural synovial fluid flow and they become sticky. And that in itself then begins that process of that joint going through some sort of a change, which might cause some sort of like disc displacement, bony changes to occur outside of accidents. You know, you can get hit by a ball and have your joint displaced, those kind of things. But trauma, but but also I think like long periods of clenching, which a lot of people do as an adaptive way to get through life sometimes can lead their TMJ joints to develop into a situation where they develop a sound. So basically TMJ dysfunction is just that the joint's not working the way it should, that it's not where you have good synovial fluid, you've got good bony adaptation, you've got your disc properly positioned and working the way that it should. But what's I tell patients, even though sometimes we'll get imaging of that joint, that we need to look at what the new normal is going to be. So the body has the ability to adapt to those changes. Once a disc has been displaced for a period of time, it's really not going to go back. Once you have some bony changes, those changes can change if you kind of provide the patient with a healthy occlusal scheme that complements and protects the joint. Then that joint then can go maybe even adapt into a healthier situation. Those sounds might change, they may go away, but that doesn't mean the disc is back where it's supposed to be. So I try to help patients because a lot of times people think they need surgery. And I think some cases surgery is warranted. In rare cases, there are so many different, depending on what part of the country you live in, different surgical approaches to the TMJ joint. But I don't think it's the first way place to go. And I think that you can try many, many other things. And many times the alternatives or the least invasive is the best and works beautifully. So patients come to me because they're concerned. Oh my God, my jaws are popping. They've never popped before. So I have to let them know that pop is why they have the pop and get imaging of that pop if it's necessary. And then to help them to see that that's not necessarily terrible and that they're not alone. There's a lot of people out there with joint sounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like knee crepitus. Like it's exactly. not necessarily, uh-huh. you know, yeah. it's not a bad thing necessarily. Yeah, yes, exactly. And I've, got that. I've had that since I was a kid. Me crepitus. too. Yeah. <laughs> so we've actually had Casey on this podcast before twice. And so our listeners are familiar with PRI. Actually, if you search PRI, our podcast shows up, which I think is pretty oh, funny. Cool. I know you've taken some courses too, but how do you yeah. think that, using PRI has changed your practice? It's changed a lot in a positive way. Number one, it's given me, and it really helps me to see my patients differently when they walk in the door. When they, you know, so not only am I looking in their mouths, I'm looking at how they walk into the room, how they walk out of the room. I have some tests that I do that a dentist can easily do in their chair. We're not physical therapists, but we can do some small little things that are that I learned at the PRI courses that I've taken that can help you to kind of say, 
wow, I did this, made this change for this patient and they feel the change. And so therefore it's given me the clue that we, that we need to be looking at collaborating, seeing what that collaboration can do for the patient. So it helps me to add more tools into my toolbox. It helps me to be able to talk to my patients better. I have never had a, really a big issue with the patient not understanding why they're seeing a physical therapist after they talk to me. So I think I have developed good communication skills, but that's huge. So the patient has a good understanding of why they're going and what to expect. And why is it that therapy is going to help them? Why we aren't going straight to getting a splint? Because I will tell you, 100% of the patients that sit down with me are thinking he's going to make me a night guard. That's in their head what they're thinking. Or, they, or he's going to recommend I have surgery. You know, so once I kind of talk to them and then can show them they can physically feel things based on PRI concepts, then it helps them to say, oh, wow, this is kind of crazy. This is weird. This is great. I didn't realize this was connected. And then it's easy for me to make that referral. And when the patient comes back, if they do need an appliance, then what I like about it is that I'm not just making appliances willy-nilly for patients that don't need them. And so it goes to people like, you know, it's funny because I think a lot of, and I'm going to kind of speak about this from an ethical standpoint that you know, we're in the practice of helping people and we can't put it, we can't, not everybody, not everyone's the same nail that gets the same hammer. And we have to realize that we can't help all these people and we sometimes need to refer them. And if they need to come back, then the treatment will be successful. And you can be, you know, you feel good. You feel better about that. And we're not just cranking out appliances when they're not needed. And right. so I think that's very, very important. And even physical therapists will say, you know, we need to go see a dentist or we need to see the optometrist because maybe I've taken you as far as I can go. And there's other things here that we're seeing. And they have tools in their toolbox that they can use to demonstrate to the patients that they could feel the difference when vision is altered, occlusion is slightly altered. You know, and so it makes the patient very appreciative of how they're treated. And, I, and I've had some patients that have, quite frankly, been very skeptical, especially some, I've had a parent recently who I saw maybe about three months ago, I think really sat in the chair with his hands crossed while I watched his daughter. And I think he came in ready not to like what I had to say, or he didn't want to be there. And I don't know what his story was. I think there was some other stuff going on in his life probably, but it took him three months and now he's at the physical therapist's office. And I wish got there. I think, you know, he's there. I think he's there reluctantly with his daughter. I think his daughter's kind of pushing the, the envelope there because she's looking for help. But that's how my practice has been altered. You know, I think that it's been a huge benefit to me. I think PRI is a great science and I think it should be something that we all pay attention to. And what I like about it is that it, it's not saying that we have all the answers either, that we need to collaborate. It's all about collaboration yeah. outside our fields and working as a team to help the patient. And I think that's very freeing, actually. And it takes a lot off your shoulders when you know you have other people there helping you to help a patient. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it just feels like it makes the most sense. It's not as if one practitioner with one specialization is going to be able to solve all of the problems that are caused by yeah. someone's chronic issue. Like, exactly. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And the coolest part is when like the patient feels better, it's like everybody who worked together on that case can feel like they've contributed. So I think that's really right. awesome. Yeah. 
thing I want to bring up too, which is a really good point, is that also part of the team approach needs to be a psychologist or a good therapist because sometimes patients, especially with a chronic problem and neurally have gone through so much that they're stuck in a unilateral pain problem that we sometimes need the help of a good therapist to help the patient because they are so beat down. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to dismiss the need besides the, you know, us being field of dentistry or optometry or physical therapy. We may have ways of helping patients, but we also need to have sometimes have that practitioner there to help with some of our patients as well, I think is very important. I agree. I think the collaboration is really interesting and important. And what you said before about vision, I've seen it before because I've been in here with Casey seeing a lot of patients. And it's just really interesting to see sometimes you go send somebody to an optometrist and they come back and their bite is actually different, or you give them different techniques and their bite changes and you didn't even send them to a dentist. So it's really interesting. Sometimes you can kind of rule out who needs to go be referred to you or who doesn't just if you do some other things first. So it's been a very interesting to learn about and then kind of seeing how you do things in your office you hand make your splints, which I think is also pretty different compared to normal dentists or right. A lot of regular dentists will send it to a lab. I don't know much about that, but I also find it pretty fascinating and just the whole process with that. It's been interesting. And I, maybe you could talk a little bit about hand making it and why you do that. Yeah. I think that I, I hand make my splints because it gives me more control. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. If I really pay attention, taking really good impressions, taking really good fire records, I'll have a product that I've made that's going to work well, and I'm not going to be spinning my wheels trying to get it fitted in the mouth. I do adjust my appliances in the mouth because they have to be adjusted, but it's like it doesn't take like all day. It's something that's pretty. And also, I do all my adjusting and standing, which is something that Casey asked me to do. And I love that because basically Casey Aiken, who's the phys- one of the physical therapists I work with, asked me to start adjusting the appliances and standing. And the purpose behind that is that the patient's feet are on the floor. So they're grounded. And usually by the time I see them, they have had some sort of conversation about the type of maybe shoe they need to be wearing. They might need an orthotic. So they're coming in wearing these specialized, you know, orthotics where they are wearing shoes that have been chosen off of a list that I think were credentialed by PRI. And so what we do is we do the appliance and standing so that they complement. So when the patient's hip molars, we make sure that that patient, you know, is on their heels and is grounded and hands at the side and them not stretching their neck forward and them being in the most relaxed position. That I think is made actually my splint deliveries go faster. I think they go quicker because the patient is on their feet and they feel things differently than when they're lying down and their feet aren't touching the floor. So I think mm-hmm. neuromuscularly speaking, it gives the patients more of a sensory ability to feel things differently, which I think is pretty cool. And I want to just quickly say too about bites and vision. I had a patient who's referred to me because she got out of braces and her back molars, the orthodontist could not get her molars. And he referred her to me to make them touch. This patient had no fillings on those back teeth. They're virgin teeth. 
And mm-hmm. I was like, man, I do not want to put crowns on those beautiful teeth. And she was having some other issues that maybe she didn't share with the orthodontist. And so I referred her to the physical therapist who in turn took her to the optometrist that we work with. She had a vision change that made her molars touch. That's fascinating. So she could have gone to a dentist that would have put crowns on those teeth. And that to me is like, whoa, kind of makes you think how much dentistry is being, what do we look at, you know, and what do we know and get the message out to dentists, like before you touch a patient like that to really get a good history. And is this patient really needing that dentistry done or do they need something else to kind of change their occlusion to make it better and save that patient from having to have their own teeth worked on that don't need to be worked on. So I thought that was kind of like, whoa. It's yes. fascinating. So where can people find you if they want to oh, learn more? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm in, I'm in Dallas, Texas. I live in the city of Coppell, which is very north Dallas County. And my website is www.peterlecadds.com, P-E-T-E-R-L-E-C-C-A.com. And that has all my contact information. You could send me you know, an email or whatever just to ask a question. I'm happy I know. I want to make a point of saying that I have a lot of patients that other dentists that refer to me, just make it clear to those people that are listening that may be like, oh my gosh, I'm having this dentistry done. I don't want to scare anybody to work done. You shouldn't trust your dentist. But I think it's a good idea to just have those conversations with them a little bit. And many dentists I think most dentists, we all want to do the right thing. And it's just a matter of kind of like our training. I fell into this by accident. If my friend didn't come to me needing the kind of help that he needed, I would probably not even know what PRI is today. But it's just one of those, I think, happy accidents. Doors opened up. I got to learn. So this is a great platform. And I commend you ladies for putting this program on this podcast because it just kind of helps other, hopefully other dentists will listen to this and will say, Hey, this is kind of interesting. I'd like to learn more. And I'm happy to share and say, Hey, this is kind of what I do. And, you know, I want more people to do it. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be the only person doing it. And, you know, I can only do so much, you know, Mm -hmm. and other people need to be able to do it too. And I know there are other dentists out there that are working with PRI trained physical therapists, maybe a little bit different than I do, but we're all working together as a team, probably providing similar results. Yeah. We started this podcast because we just want to share current information and spread awareness about everything that relates to health and wellness. And it's been really cool to be able to do that. And from all different professions, it's been awesome. We have one more question for you. And we ask every guest, what do you do every day, but it doesn't really have to be every day. It could be really whenever you do it to move your brain and move your body. That is a great question. So I am a very, very much into being an active person. And so I work out a lot, (laughs) maybe too much, but it's my way of keeping my body in motion. Because as a dentist, I'm sitting there kind of in one position a lot. Yeah. I have to get up and move around. So I do try to get up. I keep lacrosse balls in my office and I'm like rubbing my back on the wall. But I do work out. I do aerobic, 
exercising, kind of like hit type exercising. I had work out with a trainer, do weight training, you know, so I try really hard to do that and work on nutrition, trying to eat the right things. So those are the things that I do. I get massages. I've been treated by PRI physical therapists myself. And, <laughs> yeah. and I have orthotics in my shoes and neurological orthotics that I've worn that I'm wearing that help me immensely. I have gone to vision to see the optometrist that we see to have, I call them my training glasses made. These are the glasses that I wear when I'm going to go hiking, when I'm going to go walking. And I try to take my glasses off a lot. What I do is I try to, when I'm not having to look up and down a lot, I'll just give my eyes a break and try to help my eyes to not be so dependent on my glasses, you know? So that's kind of how I try to do it. I, I read a lot to keep my mind going, enjoy reading. So it's different things that I do to try to stay in that mind body thing, you know, keep it all going, keep it all moving and bilateral moving through space, right and left, my brain, hopefully right and left. <laughs> That's one thing I learned from PRI, where we need to be reciprocal in our movements, reciprocal in our breathing, reciprocal in our neurology. And so I try to hopefully achieve that as much as possible. Cool. I loved that answer. That was a unique one compared to what we usually hear. So <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Laka. This has been yeah, so amazing meeting thanks you. for having me, you guys. Of course. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast. Join in every week as we release new episodes. Subscribe or leave us a rating at Apple Podcasts. If you have questions or topics to cover, please email moveyourbb at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at moveyourbb.